Welcome to Boiling Point, the podcast to motivate ever-evolving entrepreneurs and forward-thinking movement pioneers. Our hosts, filmmaker Greg Hemmings and executive coach Dave Vale, are turning up the heat in the world's business communities. Our interviews with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers are raising the temperature of inspiration. Live from the hottest studio in this quadrant of the universe, here are Dave and Greg. Hey, Boiling Pointers. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode. Before we start, Dave and I want to let you know all about our Boiling Point Process online courses, live events, and masterminds. After interviewing hundreds of leaders, we've packaged a ton of knowledge together to serve up to you. Info that will help you and your company be heard in a very noisy marketplace. So visit www.boilingpointprocess.com and sign up for the email newsletter and we'll let you know when our next cohort or event is. Thanks also for supporting The Boiling Point by subscribing to us on iTunes and also leaving a rating for us. So, my goodness, if I didn't know better, I would think you were drinking scotch last night, but you wouldn't be like that before guest hosting the Boeing Point podcast, would no, you, Jake no. Palmer? And by the way, I have the fabulous Jake Palmer as a guest host because Greg Hemmings is somewhere in the middle of the country driving his daughter home from Montreal. God love him. Yeah. Yeah. So did you purposely drink uh, a bunch of scotch last night with per- for, for the to get this great gravelly voice because and and make you gotta remember you gotta get close to your microphone yeah no this was intentional i want to do the best that i could so i thought (laughs) and i you know i should have gotten into the cigars too just to get the gravel so it's oh you got some gravel yeah some gravel sounds like i gargled with gasoline and gravel last night well i'm i'm excited to have you you've been a guest you've been a big promoter we've done a lot of cool things together and uh, you've been on twice i think twice yeah and we always get big bump in ratings when you come on, Jake. So we thought well, maybe you can come on as a guest host. And our first guest is uh, is really got a very interesting background and approach to the value of humor in the workplace. And I knew this is the perfect way to start. I I'm think. super excited about this because when, when you sent me the list of guests, when I saw Andrew's bio here, I thought, oh, that's why you asked me to be... And the no, guest host, because I, I'm so excited to talk to this guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he is on the line. Hey, Andrew. Hello, hello. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm wondering how, how do I get my voice deeper and more I, You know what? I, been... You and I are fighting the same battle. So uh, obviously playing <laughs> poker with Jake and the boys. Right. I, I did have an invitation. I did not make it. And uh, otherwise you'd be talking to two of us like real gravelly. But. <laughs> So maybe maybe next time you invite Andrew along, he can come up from because you're now you're based in New York, I understand. That's correct. Yeah, based here in in New York City, where uh, it's been sweltering, which is always fun. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and you need humor probably to be live successfully in New York <laughs> with all all the heat and people and craziness. So maybe you can give us just a, a or a, or sorry our listeners. Um, a bit of your background, and and as we as you would know, uh, for those people that listen, we do a terrible job of uh, of reading, you know, just reading a person's <laughs> bio or trying to explain. So we go, we just we are so it. lazy that we go, Andrew, can you tell us and tell our listeners who you are? Because you do have a really cool bio. So over to you, man. Yeah, absolutely, and I'm all for delegation. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> you know, honestly, I'm gonna hopefully be able to tell my story better than than other people, but. Uh, 
Uh, kind of the way that my story goes is uh, I've been uh, an engineer ever since I can remember, always obsessed with efficiency, you know, to the point that I was born three weeks early. So <laughs> apparently even in the womb, right? Like I don't need a full nine months. I'm ready to go right now. Uh, so I uh, went on to the Ohio State University, got a degree in computer science and engineering, started working at Procter & Gamble as an IT project manager. And uh, at P&G, I realized that uh, you can't really be efficient with humans. Uh, you know, you can be efficient with things like computers, but you can't be efficient with people because they have things like emotions and feelings and they get sick and tired and have to eat and sleep and all that boring stuff. Uh, so instead of being efficient, you have to be effective. But uh, as a stereotypical nerd, because I think uh, I was reading a comment on one of my videos on YouTube and someone said, you can hear the nerd in his voice. <laughs> So uh, for the people listening, I don't think it's a surprise that I'm a nerd, uh, but as a stereotypical nerd. And proud of it, I hear. That, oh, I'm super proud of it. Right yeah, on. I got it. You got to own it. Yes. Uh, but I didn't necessarily have the skills I needed to be effective with people, but I started doing improv and stand-up in college and started to realize that the same skills that were making me effective uh, in improv were the same skills that were helping me be effective at P&G, and so started to explore that intersection of improv and business, humor in the workplace, and ultimately started my own company called Humor That Works. And now I work with organizations and people on how to be more effective using humor. That is it's very uncanny. cool. Yeah, and it's, there's, a, there's a really interesting thread in all of this. Um, I'm curious, and, and, I, and I know you're going to jump in on this one. Jake, yeah, yeah, but for sure. I'm thinking of um, um, you know, doing stand-up. Man, that is a brave thing to do. So, I, I've always thought that stand-up is one of the most uniquely brave things that any performer can do, let alone person, because it, it, you have to have this incisive concept of how people interact and be able to relay that in a way that's humorous without being offensive. I'm a big, big stand-up fan, so I'm always curious to know how someone works up the courage. And I've gone to a couple stand-up things here locally, and what I'll do when I sit in the crowd is I'll trick myself into feeling, okay, I'm up next, just to get the feeling of the adrenaline, just to brace myself for because eventually I want to do it, but I don't have, I, I just haven't been able to do it yet. So what, yeah, what, what, tell us about that process. Yeah. I mean, cause that's, that is, uh, and me, and, and maybe you don't see it the same way, Andrew, what, what, I mean, but I'm guessing it took a little <laughs> well, courage yeah, to do that. It, just, it takes some courage and or some narcissism a little <laughs> bit, you know, stand up is, is an interesting art form where you're like, you know what, I have thoughts. A room full of people should listen to me tell them, um, right? So it's an interesting perspective, but there is, you know, certain bravery to it. And it's something that you do get over as you do it more and more. But I do think that stand-up is one of the hardest forms of public speaking that you'll ever do, which is why I love it as a speaker. Stand-up is how I got my start into speaking, into working with people, because, you know, I, I did stand-up in college, and then when I was giving presentations to the CEO at P&G, that didn't seem nearly as nerve-wracking, and so it, it made my presentations a lot better. But, you know, for me, I, I wish that I could say I was someone sitting in an audience thinking, you know what, I could do that. Uh, but in college, my best friend wanted to start an improv comedy group, meet a people, and forced me to join. So we, we did improv for about a year, and then there was a stand-up comedy competition at Ohio State, and a bunch of people in the group were like, well, if we can be funny when we make it up off the top of our heads, it's got to be easier to do when we, like, plan it out. Right. And it turns out that stand-up is way harder than improv, at least for me. But since all my other friends were doing it, uh, we kind of did it together as a group. We all signed up together 
uh, as a group. And, and when I got that first laugh on stage, that was because of something that I said, because of a thought that I had, and it was just me, none of my other friends who were already funny, just me. It, you know, it can be a little bit addicting. It's a very cool experience to, to have that feeling. And that's what kind of started the, the journey for me was this, this recognition that, you know, I'm, by day to day, I'm an introvert. Um, uh, I've gotten better, but especially in college, I was very awkward at like networking events or just out socially. And so stand up gave this kind of weird environment where I could be in control of the conversation. And that's ultimately led to better success in real life. But, you know, it's this really cool moment. And that's what, what kind of spurred it on. Do you think it was organic that the use of humor that translated into the workplace? Or do you, was there a realization at some point that that could be of use in your career? Did the two intersect naturally, or did you actually at some point consciously recognize that this is something useful that you can do with your work? Uh, it was a little bit of both. When it first started out, so I remember being at a meeting in PNG pretty early on, and it was incredibly boring. It was one of those ones where you're like, I'd rather be watching paint dry, like boring <laughs> type of meeting. And the problem was that I was the one leading the meeting mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and you were and bored like, yeah and i was bored so if it's like I'm, if i'm bored while talking they've got to be bored while listening <laughs> were, they, so, were they even awake or were they <laughs> right yeah i mean i don't even know I, you know i wasn't even paying attention um but yeah, at the time i had recently learned that hitchcock was in every single one of his films like in you know in the background or the silhouette or whatever so I decided just for fun, right, bringing in a little bit of what I learned from improv and stand was like, I'm just going to start including a picture of me in every single one of my presentations, <laughs> either as a background story as a kid or, you know, I, at one point I, I made a silhouette of myself kind of in a, an Excel spreadsheet um, for background data. And one, it was a way for me to stay more engaged in my work. But two, once people started to pick up on it, they started to kind of lean forward a little bit in my meetings, waiting for that image of me to come up. Brilliant. And yeah, and so it started organically, but over time I started to realize like, oh, this is, this is working. And it kind of came to a head. I remember I used to include jokes at the end of each one of my emails because I love puns. I love wordplay. That's mostly what my Twitter feed is. Mm -hmm. And so I would send out these weekly status reports that at the bottom would have uh, and email, have a joke related to the subject of the email in some way. And I came into work one day and I had a ton of replies to one email message. And I was like, uh-oh, like, what did I do? And uh, what I had done is I had forgotten to include a joke at the bottom. And people were like, hey, where was the joke? Hey, I only read this email because there's a joke. Hey, you're still doing the jokes, right? And so I realized that people are actually opening my email because there's going to be humor attached. And that's when it became a little bit more of this like, oh, there's something to this. How do I explore this? How do I be more deliberate about this? Right on. Uh, did that, does that cause pressure? Like knowing that people are anticipating something funny? Like do you feel uh, – like, like I always wonder about the, the, like the comics. that Like there's a, there's a Canadian comic that my brother was at a – a uh, wedding event with, or what you know, reception, and yeah. they're sitting at the same table. And he said, The guy, they had a few drinks. The guy said, He's tough because everyone expects me to be funny all the time. And he was Constantly. like, You know, I just want to be hanging out with you guys, I don't want to have to be funny, you know. <laughs> but I would, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I was just wondering, Andrew, is that like, does that feel like pressure? I mean, there's a, there's a little bit of pressure for sure. I mean, I sometimes speak at events, and this, this happened a couple of years ago, maybe it's less so now, but. I was uh, I was the after dinner speaker and sitting at a, a table with people and like I said I'm I'm a bit introverted I like to kind of listen and observe and 
Uh, so I'm doing that during the dinner, and then they announce the speaker. I go up and, and have a fun, you know, event talking about humor, incorporating a lot of, you know, jokes and laughter as part of it. And then I come back and sit down. They're like, we had no idea you were the speaker, right? We thought you are just another random kind of person sitting here because I'm not, even now, I'm never the life of the party or class clown type person. And so there's, there's sometimes a little bit of pressure to that. But I think that, you know, people over time recognize, especially when we're talking about humor in the workplace, right? It's not about learning to become the stand-up comedian. Like we learn from comedians of how to be more effective at what we do, but it's not about replacing your work with always having a joke, but more about using humor as a how to execute something specific of how to get people to pay attention or how to build rapport with someone. And so I think when it comes to the workplace, people have less of that, you know, that feeling of like, oh, I always have to be funny. For a stand-up comedian, as soon as you tell someone what you do is, is comedy, then, uh, you know, one of the first questions is, oh, well, tell me a joke. And it's like, it's one of the few professions that you have to prove to them, like, right away. If you're talking <laughs> to someone and you're like, uh, I'm uh, a yoga instructor, not like, okay, do, do downward you know, dog. downward facing <laughs> dog, right, right yeah, now. Exactly. Do it. If yeah. you're a doctor, cut me open. Um, That's so true. So it's rare, but... Yeah. Well, and, and the other thing is the access to being a comedian. Like, it's not like, you know, like you don't need a, a degree in comedy to be a comedian, right? Like, you, like I remember listening to Joe Rogan talk about that and that it, really anyone can access it. But I mean, right. but as a real, and you point out this in your, um, in your work that, you know, humor is actually a skill. Like, it's something that can be, mm-hmm. in, it's, I'm guessing, and I'd love, love to hear a little more about your thoughts on that. Um, but it, if that's because you, you, it's um, reading here, humor that works, the missing skill for success and, and happiness at work. So if it's a skill, I guess my, my thinking would be that, um, that you can, you know, develop a skill. Is that, is that fair or enhance it or, or, yeah, or grow it? Absolutely. No, I mean, I've, I have done over a thousand shows as a stand-up comedian. I've spoken or performed that's in incredible. all 50 states and 25 countries on six continents, one planet, right? This one, uh, my TEDx talk on the scale of humor has over 5 million views, 96,000 likes, right? So I'm just setting all that up to say that, you know, by looking at some outside metrics, I am, you know, supposedly funny, right? But I, I went to my high school reunion not too long ago. People found out that they did comedy and they're like, but you're not funny. Because <laughs> you're but not that, constantly but performing. You know what? That's funny in itself. That is you tell them that. So that is funny. hilarious. I have a question it for is, you, though. Right? At, yeah. at what point... So you're in the workplace and you recognize that there's there's value to the humor that you bring to the workplace. It gets people to pay attention. But at what point did that transition to something where you thought that there's value in this for companies and this is something that ought to be taught and be focused on in different corporations and different workplaces? Like at what point did you think that there should be a process behind that that you could bring to different organizations? Because that's that seems like a leap because I know people that are funny in the workplace and funny on day-to-day and there's always those people on the conference call that do know how to kind of liven it up. But at what point do you realize, you know what, this is actually something that brings more value than companies are really recognizing? Yeah, well, I think that part of it comes from like that, right? One, that recognition that humor was a skill, kind of that moment of people saying that I'm not funny, but it's like, no, but I've, I've learned it, right? So yeah, you, so many people, and I probably thought it growing up too, that humor is this innate ability. But the fact that I learned it and what we say in our programs now is that, you know, we can teach anyone to be funny er, right? Not necessarily across the board funny where you're going to, you know, get a Netflix comedy special, but 
we can take you from wherever you're at now to being funnier by understanding some of how, you know, the art and science of comedy or the art and science of humor, right? We can teach some of the science around things like structure and give people an opportunity to practice the art. So part of it was that recognition that, oh, this is something that isn't unique to me and is something that other people could learn. That kind of combined with, um, you know, my, my first year at PNG, I wrote an internal blog called Life of a New Hire, which was just all about me kind of, uh, traversing kind of what it was like being a new hire at PNG and people read it and it was great for my personal brand and it was cool getting comments from people all around the world. And then a year in, I was like, all right, so I'm now a, technically I'm a recent hire. I don't think I can continue this life of a new hire brand. So I want to blog about something else. And humor was picking up steam. So I proclaimed myself the corporate humorist of PNG. Right? I, I started a brand new blog. I got business cards made. And I did think eventually someone would stop me. I thought someone from HR or League would be like, hey, you can't just give yourself job titles. Um, but <laughs> Self-professed. Like, I love no it. One, exactly. No one ever stopped me. Instead, people started referring to me as the corporate humorist. And I would volunteer to... You know, if we had a team offsite for our group, I'd be like, hey, can I leave 20 minutes of icebreakers in the morning just to warm up using some improv techniques? And that went pretty well. So then I was like, hey, can I teach like a 60-minute communications workshop using improv and stand-up? And that went well. So I just that combined with the writing mm-hmm. about it, internally at PNG, I became the, the corporate humorist. And I realized, one, I love the work because it was a combination of my two backgrounds. It's, it's the unique perspective of, okay, this is something that I've learned and hear how it's, how it's applying. And also speaking is basically stand up with a message, right? I can make people laugh, but then also tell them what to do. And so I fell in love with that work. And that's when I decided to start Humor That Works part-time, you know, right? Just to kind of to continue to blog, to get the, the message out to a broader audience. And it started to resonate with people because people have this perception that work has to feel like work and you can't have fun. You know, if you're having fun, it means you're not being serious about your job. And, you know, all these misnomers, there's all these benefits to using humor. And there was this belief that you couldn't learn to be funny. So those two things, I was like, oh, I'm in a unique position where maybe I can help other people to do kind of what I've done to enjoy their work more and get better results while doing it. Tell me a little bit about, you know, like a typical phone call from an organization that has an interest in working with you. Like, you know, I'm an, I'm an executive coach. So they, you know, there's generally a call comes in and it's about developmental need for an individual and you know what I mean? And that's kind of generally how it, mm-hmm. it starts. But I'm just wondering, like, I'm just trying to imagine the calls coming into you um, and how people find you. And, and we should put a shout out to your, uh, to, to, I guess what the best way humor that works.com. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, like how does, how do people know that they, that this would be valuable for them as an organization? To be honest, it was it was tough when first starting out to articulate that because honestly, you know, no one cares about humor in the workplace um, as a high level thing. Like there's about a, there's like a thousand global monthly searches for humor in the workplace, but there's hundreds of thousands or millions of searches for things like communication skills or um, you know employee morale or employee engagement is big. And so it took me a while to get better at articulating that humor isn't what you do, it's how you do it. It is a solution to a lot of challenges in the workplace. So if you cha- if you have an organization and employee surveys have just come back and engagement is low, humor training is one of those things that can help. Mm. Or if stress is very high, humor, you know, we have programs that are all about stress management. So we've gotten better at articulating the value, but 
a lot of people, you know, come, it comes from word of mouth or referral. It comes from podcasts that I've done. It comes from people seeing me at a, a conference speak. It comes from people watching the TEDx video because once they watch it, they realize, oh, this isn't just about, hey, let's all have fun and tell jokes. And it's not, you know, it's not coming from someone who's never been in the workplace. So the, I think the fact that I have, you know, an engineering background and, a, you know, P&G on the resume helps people realize that, no, I'm doing what's actually applicable at work that actually gets you better results. And that's when t- people tend to, to reach out. So, you know, for example, Next week, I'm doing a, a talk from Microsoft with some of their recent hires around a little bit around kind of career development, but they want to kind of have a touch point with people who are getting ready to look at their next assignment. And, you know, a big part of my message is that you are responsible for your own happiness, right? Like, it's not up to your boss or your manager to make sure that you enjoy what you do. And, like, hopefully, they don't detract from that, but you are ultimately responsible for how you feel about work and how you go about your work. And so kind of a little bit of that empowering of you can use humor in these ways to make your work a little bit more fun and more enjoyable so that when people are looking at that next next position, they're going to stay within Microsoft rather than thinking, oh, you know, I didn't love 100% of my job. There was this one thing I didn't like. I must go to a different company, but more, oh, I have more ownership and more control over these things than I realized. So, you know, recent hires is one I'm doing some more and more work with sales companies and sales teams that are then recognizing like, oh, we can use humor as a way to better build rapport with clients in a faster way, or we can use it as a way to explain our services in a a way that people aren't going to nod off to. And so there's a whole kind of mix to to what it is. When I was first starting, it was very heavily into tech and engineers because they're like, wait, you're, you're an engineer with some social skills? (laughs) <laughs> Can you teach other engineers to have social skills? Uh, and so that's kind of where it started, but it's across the board now. When you're trying to engage with, with people who are in an organization that might be otherwise normally quite stiff, do you ever meet any resistance? Because I could see someone from HR, from from communications bringing you in, but then feeling kind of a stiffness in an organization where people are, are reticent to embrace it and to engage in that. Yeah, we've definitely run into that because we've done some work with some pretty conservative organizations. Uh, you know, we've done some work with the FBI, with, um, like I said, this started at PNG. Um, we've done work with the Red Cross Climate Center, with emergency first responders. And there are people in the room that are a little bit skeptical. And so that's part of why I start with the science, is that there are 30 business benefits to using humor as an individual backed by research case studies and real world examples. And I share them with people kind of in a comedic way with one big, you know, way too much text on a slide, but it's like, look, this is all backed up by research case studies, real world examples. And uh, that's just for an individual, for an organization, when they embrace a culture of humor, they see, you know, a more positive workplace culture They see an increase in employee engagement, an increase in employee productivity, a decrease in turnover, an increase in profit, right? And I have all this statistics to say this is is the facts behind it. Because ultimately, no matter what you're doing and no matter what type of work you do, we're working with humans. And it comes down to a pretty dumb question. But the dumb question is, would you rather do something that is fun (laughs) or not fun? It's a dumb question, but everyone would say, oh, well, in general, fun. So if you were to make your work a little bit more fun, do you think that you'd be a little bit more engaged? Or if you were to make your meetings a little bit more fun, do you think your clients would be a little bit more willing to sit through them? And so it starts kind of with that logic. And that, I think, 
in like in combination with again this isn't about just being silly it's not about just kind of willy-nilly like love what you do it's about a very intentional use of humor to get specific results that you're looking for love it well and it's funny you know and i I, you know what comes to my mind is and maybe this is just it's probably just unique to me but i found the longer i do what i do and more confidence you get, and then you can be more, I feel, more relaxed, which helps me to be, in my mind, funnier or, you know, to, to, to have some more fun with a conversation. And it doesn't always have to be heavy and real corporate and real, you know. Um, do, you, do you see any of those? Does that make, is that, a, is that unique to me or is that, does other people feel the same way? No, I, I think it makes sense. Yeah, you, it's, if, if you've never used humor in the workplace, the first time you try it, you know, it might be a little bit nerve wracking. But as you get more comfortable, as you get more confident, and as you get more kind of senior in an organization, you become more comfortable in being yourself a little bit. And then right. when you're brand new, you're looking at what is everyone else doing? Right. In fact, the number one reason that people don't use humor in the workplace is they say that they don't think that their boss or coworkers would approve. And the reality is that 98% of CEOs prefer job candidates with a sense of humor, and 81% of employees say a fun workplace would make them more productive. But that means that if you're a leader of a team or, or an organization and people aren't laughing pretty consistently, you're probably part of the reason why, and not necessarily intentionally. You maybe have never said, never laugh in here. But if you're never laughing or smiling yourself, other people look up to that and realize, oh, maybe I can't do it. And so by starting out small, by starting out with, you know, using humor for your own self. Or the other thing to use humor in the workplace is you don't have to be the creator of humor, right? You can share things that you find that are funny online. You can share memes or uh, you can respond in gifts or, you know, you can share a funny TEDx talk with the team to say, hey, you know, I thought this kind of matched what we were talking about recently. And starting small with those steps helps uh, to build the confidence. It makes sense too, because especially you know, from a VP level or high up in an organization, it's like trickle down humor. You know, it humanizes mm-hmm. them. It makes people feel like they can engage with them as a person a little bit more. And I, I can certainly see it in sales, but I never thought of that from a corporate standpoint that it could change the tone of a company. If the people that you answer to are using humor, then you feel like you can engage with them, mm-hmm. maybe push the limits a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And, we're, when, and man, there's so much more to talk about, Andrew. Gosh, like I, don't, I just feel like we're just skimming the surface here. Um, but you know, one of the things that just maybe if we could just talk about kind of quickly and then, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll probably wrap up. There is some danger in using the wrong kind of humor as well. For sure. Yeah. And that's, you know, what I would say is that again, humor is just a tool, right? It doesn't mean that it's appropriate in every single situation. And again, it's not replacing your work. It's just how you're doing that work. And so we, we, you know, on an appropriate side, the, the biggest thing to keep in mind is just stay positive, inclusive. Again, you're not trying to become the funniest person. Absolutely. You know, George Carlin was a master at sarcasm and satire, or you're like Anthony Jeselnik. Yes. Very aggressive comedian. Your goal is not to be that in the workplace. It's to get better results. So you want to think positive, inclusive, or what we say is follow the newspaper rule, right? And the newspaper rule is, would you be comfortable with whatever you said showing up in the front page of your hometown right. newspaper? That's a, for your that's that's a great idea. That's yeah. a great rule of thumb. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, like, and I, I, it's funny because I say with my kids, like, you know, would you be comfortable with anyone reading that text? You right. know what I mean? Like, you're, but that's a, I, like, I never thought of that. Or camera. if someone videoed you and posted it on social yeah. media, which <laughs> happens to comedians <laughs> now too, right? They got called out. I mean, the other thing too, and that that's a good question, Dave, because there's two, there, there is a split in humor. Like there is the idea that you're trying to be the funny person to get attention. 
as opposed to you're trying to be funny to make people engage with you and feel more comfortable with you. And you can, you can take either tack with humor, I suppose. And that, that intention, I think, is, is really, really important, right? Exactly like you said. Like some people point to the office and look at like Michael Scott and say, but he was trying to be funny and that wasn't effective. And he was doing it out of validation as opposed right. to, again, if you go back to being crystal clear on your intention, like, okay, I want to use humor in this instance to get people to pay attention. Mm-hmm. Or I want to use it in this instance to relieve my own stress you're going to be a lot more effective that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I certainly relieve stress. Um, thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, uh, real quick question. What, which of the 50 states would you say is the, enjoys humor the most and which of the 50 states that you've visited enjoys it the least, or at least, at least humorous in your opinion? Yeah, that's great. And I can only speak to my experiences there. I would yeah, say yeah, enjoys yeah. it the most uh, Iowa was very open to to the humor um, that I did there. Very, they're loving, positive. What I had a fantastic time in Iowa on the show that I did there. Um, least, um, just based on my own experience, well, and it was probably more dealing the the situation. West Virginia was not a fan of my humor. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you for sharing that. I love it. I love it. And I, and you know this whole that the nerdy comment you meant, mentioned earlier. I met a someone I've been working with for a number of years remotely. We meet where we sit down over lunch. It was this kind of awkward thing, and she goes at one, at some point she goes. You don't look as nerdy as you sound, <laughs> and I don't know if that was a comment or what. But I tell you, my I've thought about my voice sounds ever since. That's a left-handed compliment. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a kick of the ass for sure. Um, oh, hey man, keep keep up the good work so people can find you at Andrew at humorthatworks.com. You got this awesome TEDx talk that's been uh, viewed over four million times. Wow. That is cool. We'll have to post Jake's one of his most humorous videos, probably the one where you, uh, yeah, you run into the garbage can and everything yeah. driving. Yeah, the driving um, instructions. Yeah, driving instructions. Maybe get Andrew to give you some hints on, or some, you know, to help develop that skill. But um, any final thoughts for you, Andrew? Uh, I would just say that uh, you know what we encourage people at the end of our our programs to think is just one smile per hour. Try to find each hour of the day, you know, a way to bring a smile to your face and the face of someone else. And that'll help you to develop your humor habit. We have a lot more resources if you want to do a deeper dive, like you said, at humorthatworks.com or in the book or in the talk. But simply starting with one smile per hour gets you into that habit, and we'll, we'll start to create the change. Love it, man. Thank you. Thanks really so appreciate much. your time. Thank you. Thanks, See, Andrew. See you, Andrew. These are the Boiling Point Takeaways. I had a very cool interview with um, a guy that, that his name's Andrew Tarvin, and it's about the value of humor in the workplace. I don't know. I took a bunch of things away. Oh, me too. But, it was fascinating. And, and there was so much we couldn't get in, we didn't have a chance to get into just because of the time. But what would you take away from that, that interview? I, put, I feel personally in- validated. Okay. So how so? <laughs> well, because I can remember ages ago, the first time I started using humor in my business, you know, with clients face-to-face, you can see how people respond to it and you can feel where that eases. But when I started using signage and doing things that were more public, I can remember some some very, very well-known agents and one in particular who, with the best of intentions, called me and said, Jake, there's no room for humor in real estate. And and they weren't doing it to criticize. They were just trying to give me really yeah, thoughtful advice. Yeah, yeah. And I, it made me feel uneasy. But after a while, I realized, you know what? I got a different type of client that did respond to my humor, and it was beneficial because those people came to me with a certain amount of ease. Right on. And so what I liked, though, is the the idea of intention in the yeah. humor, the yeah. idea that 
the idea is you're not trying to show people up. You're not trying to be the funny guy. You're trying to engage easier with people and just make smoother interactions with yeah, people you work yeah, yeah. with. Well, and, I, and you know, and he, one of the things he talks about when you listen to the interview, you hear him talk about, you know, having a, um, you know, he's worked at Procter & Gamble and having these presentations and he'd always have one slide that would have some crazy picture of himself, right? <laughs> right. And I just think how brilliant that is because he so said smart. people started leaning in and, right. and, he, and, and, and I just, and he is, he's funny yeah. uh, for me anyways. I love his humor because he was talking about, you know, being in a meeting and it was so boring. It was like watching paint dry and, and I was leading the meeting, you know right. what I mean? So, I mean, even how he tells stuff or, or going yeah. back to his high school reunion and yeah. and people saying, well, you do this, but you're not even funny. And yeah. like, to me, that's funny. So um, I loved it. Uh, I, and he, and, and, but the important thing I think in terms of his, I'm guessing part of his success is that he describes the business benefits and some of the research behind it as an engineer. So uh, anyways, very cool. Make sure you watch it out, bowlingpoint.com. No, bowlingpointpodcast.com. You got to edit that one out. That was a bit. That's a mistake that That I'd be allowed to make. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Greg does all this stuff, and we're missing Greg, but great to have Jake Palmer here. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thanks for checking out this episode of Boiling Point. Remember to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Boiling Point Pod. To see more from Dave Vale, check out leadershipunleashed.ca or visioncoachinginc.com and on Twitter at Dave underscore Vale. And to catch up with Greg, visit hemmingshouse.com and at Greg Hemmings on Twitter. Thanks for listening and remember, keep that pot boiling. looking to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness then check out the natural man podcast join me host mike c as we explore all areas of human wellness physical mental and emotional learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health remember your doctor works for you learn biohacks neurohacks ways to improve sleep and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.